The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for the podcast, and my husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer of the podcast. If you have a story you would like to share with us, please reach out to us. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. Today's episode is episode number 297. And just a reminder to please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a good review, not because we think we're so cool, but just because we like to think we give out good messages of hope and we tell people where help is available. So we want them to find us if they Google podcasts about addiction. So when you give us a good review or when you give us a thumbs up on our YouTube videos, then people find us. And our whole game is to give people messages of hope and help. The whole subject of addiction is not a pretty one. And we want people to know that there's other people going through it and there are resources out there for them, no matter what they're going through, no matter who they are. So thank you for listening and thank you for giving us a good review. Today we have an interview with a gentleman named Mark Berkman. Mark Berkman serves as the CEO of the Organization for Social Media Safety, something which I think we all agree is needed, which he has grown into the world's preeminent consumer protection organization focused on social media. Under Mark's leadership, OFSMS has developed a state-of-the-art social media safety curriculum and has taught essential safety skills to hundreds of thousands of students, parents, and educators across the world. Mark has also guided OFSMS's advocacy efforts leading to the passage of groundbreaking social media safety legislation like Jordan's Law, the nation's first law to deter social media motivated violence. And Mark has spearheaded major partnerships between OFSMS and prestigious non-governmental organizations, including ones with DARE International to expand access to social media safety education and with UCLA to undertake innovative social media safety research. All I can say to this is that safety on social media is so vital today. We have already done a couple interviews where kids are buying fentanyl off of social media, and that is absolutely horrifying and terrifying. So without further ado, let's get more information and find out what the scene looks like with Mark Berkman. So Mark Berkman, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today and telling us what you're doing. I I made an I I don't normally make an editorial comment when I do the bio before we talk, but I think that what you are involved in is unbelievably vital in this day and age and people need to know about it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much and thank you for having me. It's a lot of important work. Uh, that needs to get done, and we're trying to be a part of that. Absolutely. Well, you're you're being part of the solution, and and as we've said many times on the podcast, you know, like this is going to take, it's going to take more than a village. It's going to really take everybody in the country being better educated and better aware, and you know, really staying on top of this as a problem. It it is no longer just the homeless guy 
under the bridge. It just isn't. And it's getting even scarier day by day. But before I get too much onto my soapbox, <laughs> tell us about yourself, Mark. You know, where did you grow up? How did you get involved in this whole area of social media and safety? Of course. So uh, I am the CEO of the Organization for Social Media Safety. I could start a little bit about who we are and what we do and then go into who I am, if that works. Either way, either, you can either do you first and then the organization or the organization first and you, I, I don't care. <laughs> I'll put the I'll put the organization in front, I guess. Um, so the Organization for Social Media Safety is the only consumer protection organization focused exclusively on social media. So our mission is to protect against all social media related dangers, current and emerging and yet to come. And that includes dangers like substance abuse that we're going to be talking about here, uh, drug selling, cyberbullying, hate speech, human trafficking mental health impacts, which some of which have a link to substance abuse, of course. Uh, we do that through a comprehensive approach, uh, which is a fancy way of saying that we have three departments. So we do education. We are in K through 12 schools across the country, teaching students, parents, and educators essential social media safety skills. We do advocacy works. We are working on legislation at all levels of, of government to enhance social media safety. And then technology. So we work on software and apps that provide real-time protection against any and all of these dangers. So I am um, getting into me personally. I uh, grew up in Los Angeles, California. I am a uh, recovering attorney, uh, practiced for a little bit. And then uh, I worked in Congress as a senior legislative staffer for... Uh, almost a decade, and then I was uh, a legislative staffer in the California State Assembly before uh, co-founding and uh, becoming CEO of the Organization for Social Media Safety. Awesome. And I like that you are a recovering lawyer. I do. I'm, you know, well done on your recovery. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> um, but why social media? Why did you get involved in that? What, what, what? like was a, a like like a not a red light but what was a warning light what made you get involved in that yeah well i skipped the important transition story there oh okay yeah <laughs> so okay thank you for, no 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 thank you for asking I, i'll I be quiet in the kind of brief bio so i was um i was a chief of staff for a california state assembly member and this was in 2016 now time goes quickly i guess and uh the son of my co-founder, Jordan Peisner, who was 14 at the time, uh, Jordan was at a fast food restaurant after school with some friends when he was attacked by another teen that he did not know. Uh, associates of the attacker filmed the video, put it on social media where it went viral, now having been viewed, I think, by millions. Um, so... In my office, th this went viral so quickly, I, I received the video probably within two to three hours of it happening. It's how, how quickly these things go viral. And uh, we were very concerned. We intuitively knew that we were seeing issues like this on social media regularly, that this was, this was a widespread concern that was not being acted on, so we wanted to do something. 
pretty soon thereafter, after Jordan was was out of the ICU and in the hospital, so a few weeks after, I met with his father, Ed Peisner, uh, who really wanted to dedicate himself to working on these issues and ensuring that no other family had to go through what his family went through. Um, and so we started with working on legislation that came to be known as Jordan's Law in California uh, that basically tries to deter what we now call social media motivated violence or attacks committed for the purpose of filming them and putting them on social media to get those likes and shares and views. So, so that's the whole reason that they attacked him was just to get a video of it and to put it on social media? I mean, I get into speculation there. I mean, what I can say about the specific case is that Jordan was attacked and it was filmed and put on social media. Well, can you say, what did the attackers say? Did they have a reason? Uh, They're juveniles, so it's all, all of that's sealed and some of it is not public information. So I can't go into too much about how, you know, how they were treated and, and what they said. I can say that... We found that from 2006, really near the birth of major social media on um, to that point in 2016, there was an exponential growth in these attacks that were filmed and put on social media. So we start with four or five in 2006 that was then called the knockout game. So teens would walk up behind someone, usually teens, walk up behind someone and punch them as hard as they could to get them to lose consciousness. They would film that and they would put that then mostly on on Facebook. By the time that we get to 2016, fast forward, there are thousands and thousands of these videos being viewed by millions, mostly young people. And so that that's what we knew and that's what we were working off of. And we drafted Jordan's Law and we were able to get that passed in less than a year, very quickly, because everyone recognized the need there and that no one had been focusing on this. So I just have to say, I'm disgusted. I know this is a podcast about addiction, but I had no idea. And I think that one of the things about this podcast, at least I hope, is that people get educated on things that maybe they weren't aware of. I know that when we started the podcast, we knew something about addiction and treatment, but nowhere near what we know today. But anyway, I'm disgusted. It's it's disgusting. It's disgusting to watch these. It's still happening. We Like I said, we're in schools across the country. Uh, this is happening in schools across the country. Still, you have a fight uh, in the yard. Everyone's pulling out their phones. This is an, it's an ongoing issue. We found uh, it's about 85% of fifth graders are regularly, regularly seeing explicit violence on social media in the fifth grade. And we don't, we don't go below the fifth grade. So, you know, presumably that's, that's going younger too. So, so this is a, a real issue. Um, and some yeah. of the dynamics we'll talk about uh, in a little bit are, are similar to drug dealing and substance abuse that's happening yeah. on social media. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, But to cap the story, basically, as we were working on Jordan's Law, it became apparent that despite, at this time, even some well-known dangers happening on social media, there was no organization serving as a a consumer protection organization focused specifically on these issues and how social media was being used to to either facilitate them or make them worse. And so we started the Organization for Social Media Safety. 
Wow. Um, Jordan's law, is that a federal law or a California law? It's a California law. What it does is it makes clear that if you conspire to film a violent attack, you are also liable uh, for the crime and subject to an enhanced sentence. Really what the what we did this for is to create a teaching tool uh, for everyone across the country, but not just in California. We, we teach it everywhere. Um, right. We've found that's been very effective. That's I, I I love what you're doing. I hate that you have to do it, but I love what you're doing. Um, sorry. This was on Facebook, you said. Uh, that- well, Jordan's attack was actually distributed originally on Snapchat. Snapchat. Okay. I thought um, you had mentioned Facebook. and I was A lot like, of the original attacks were using Facebook or Facebook Live and Obviously, the platforms that kids use have changed over the years. Right. And Facebook did get kind of careful about that, didn't they? I mean, don't they have some kind of regulations about it? No? (laughs) You know, I don't think so. I think uh, I just think that people that are distributing this content are using different platforms. Right. Right. Unfortunately. I yeah. mean, I wish that there was there was more restriction. This would be content moderation, more content moderation. But it's very easy to go onto a number of platforms and just pull up all you know these videos yeah. for hours. And I think, of course, one of the problems with a, a so a platform like Snapchat is that it doesn't stay up there. So it's not like you can track it down because then they disappear, and you may ne- not be able to find the person that put it up there. Yeah, I, I think these go. These are shared sometimes on Snapchat. People will take a screen recording of it, or it's shared on a story, uh, and then distributed through a variety of platforms, and then it's it's up there. Wow. Wow. As I said before, I'm disgusted. But what I'm more concerned about, and I I was going to try and do. I was going to try and share my screen and show the picture, but I I don't know exactly where I have it. I took a picture on Facebook the other day of, you know, just like one of those things where they show a whole bunch of pills that are available on social media for kids, and except for the fact that they have things on like M thirty, kind of like OxyContin and drugs like that, they look like sweet tarts. And I am afraid that a child looking at that would want to try it and would think it might be candy. And um, what are what are you seeing along those lines in terms of drugs? If we can segue over to the drug thing. Yeah, the drug thing really, in terms of social media, has exploded really dur- during the pandemic, I would say. We have one study um, that was done right before the pandemic that showed about a quarter of youth are seeing drugs or have seen drugs marketed through social media. Uh, And again, that was before the pandemic. We need some new research done, but we would guess that that number has grown exponentially over the last three years. And so kids are going on, they're seeing advertisements for drugs. It's fairly easy to connect with a drug dealer that they don't necessarily know and, and order drugs. Um, what happens is the dealer will actually, they have menus and they send the menus uh, to teens in this case, or whoever wants to be purchasing. It's a full menu 
uh, running the range from Xanax and Percocet to to all sorts of drugs. And they choose it and it gets delivered uh, basically just like ordering a pizza in a lot of cases. Uh, and the results or the outcomes, uh, unfortunately and tragically, have been deadly in a number of cases, especially with children, because we see over and over again, we see this pattern, and I'm talking to families on a regular basis, child will order something like Xanax or Vicodin, not thinking that this is a lethal drug, obviously uh, very dangerous, but yep. they don't think that it's a lethal drug, and it happens to be fentanyl. Yep. And they're, they're overdosing and, and dying. It is scary. It is absolutely scary that kids can just get drugs this easily. It's... It's terrifying, and we'll have a lot of people comment back or try to counter by saying that if someone is engaging uh, in drug-seeking behavior, they want the drugs, they're going to get them anyways. The problem is that social media has made it, and we've, we see this with a lot of products. You know, I want to get food delivered. I go on Uber Eats or uh, whatever your app of choice is, and you, in five seconds, you have something ordered, and coming to your house, even though maybe it would have been better for you to, to make something at home. And so kids can pick up their phone and within minutes or even seconds, order drugs that, that get delivered right away. And so the convenience factor is in our, we would theorize is really making this situation a lot worse. I agree. Uh, and I would disagree with those who say that it's just drug seeking behavior, because let me draw somewhat of a parallel to the drug advertisements on television and the rise in people taking those drugs because they see it on television and they go to their doctor and they go, oh, I should be taking Rinvoke for my rheumatoid arthritis. So you put these ads in front of kids, uh, that, I, that does not equate to me to drug seeking behavior and kids who are just looking for drugs. That, that is, in my personal opinion, sorry for anybody who's listening, a very narrow-minded, head in the sand viewpoint. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. No, I agree. I agree. But we see that comment a lot, especially when I'm doing interviews that will show up in the comments that that particular message. We strongly disagree with it. I think both your point that exposure to the content, there's 
plenty of research that shows that exposure in adolescence um, is going to increase the likelihood of, of using substances and yep. abusing substances, of course. Yep. Um, so that exposure, the convenience and the accessibility, the likes of which we've never seen before. And so it, it's creating a really deadly, dangerous mix, especially for youth. Yep, I agree. So you go around and you talk to different organizations about this, like parent groups, Do you, and you go to schools as well? We go to schools. So we go to K through 12 schools across the country, and we talk to students and parents and work with educators on social media safety guidelines. Um, when we're teaching the substance abuse issue, for us, we stick with the parents on this one because we're in a little catch-22 uh, in our specific situations. We're teaching social media safety. And this is still new enough where we don't want to give a roadmap to youth on, on how to access these drugs via social media. So we're teaching parents on the substance abuse piece. But yeah, we're teaching both children and parents on, on why their social media safety concerns. That's interesting. As I listen to you, I... I have four grandchildren from age nine down to one. And I kind of sort of want to tell their parents, don't ever let them ever go on social media. <laughs> Just have them stay completely off. We didn't have it when my when my boys were young and when I was young. And, you know, it's just, it's very scary. Here's the, the very real issue that parents across the world are confronting is that social media, uh, not surprisingly, is a social medium. And so parents face this very serious lose-lose prospect when it comes to social media. When you have uh, an 11 or 12-year-old, so fourth or fifth grade, they get on TikTok, they get on Snapchat, uh, by those own platform submission, too early uh, to be on those platforms, not, not safe at that age. But, I mean, it's happening all over the world. So you have that 11-year-old get on. Pretty soon you have that whole class get on. Why? Because this is how they're communicating. This is how they're developing their friendships. And so parents have this really awful choice of, am I going to restrict my child from being on this platform? And they're going to suffer. Uh, we have to be truthful about this very, very real social detriment there. Or are, am I going to subject them to these very real increased risks? It's an, it's an impossible choice, yeah. uh, which is why, I mean, we do have a solution for that. So we work with whole communities to try to set up age of entry guidelines and get the entire community on board with those. Now, what do you um, mean when you say community and age of so entry? Like, what do you mean? We will work with a school and we will develop what we call community guidelines around safe social media use. Okay. And so... Uh, we will set up ages that we then have the community actually vote on so all the parents can see that the other families have have their backs, so to, so to speak. Um, and then they're not the one parent restricting their child from this. So we will say we don't want children on Snapchat younger than 15 in this, in this community. Uh, we'll put that as one of the guidelines and all the parents will see that they'll you know show their support so we're trying to keep everyone together and not have this race to the bottom right is it working uh, in the schools that we're able to do it with i would say so we need we need longer term testing i i prefer to have empirical evidence on it but um i would say in the schools that we're working with that we've seen some some significant results by observation 
Understood. You know, I think it ultimately it really does come down to parents and, you know, how kids get educated at home and, you know, what kind of values, do you know what I mean? I know that if I had ever seen, you know, my children getting entertained by watching another child get beat up, we would have had a very serious discussion about that. The problem is it's almost impossible to monitor. The kids yeah. take their, their devices, they're off in a room. Parents play a major, major role here, but they're not, they shouldn't be out on their own on this. Uh, yeah. As I mentioned, the schools need to play a role, the community. And, and part of what we do is holding the platforms accountable, both by raising awareness and putting pressure on them and by legislating as well. Uh, and so uh, probably a good segue into one of the pieces of legislation we're working on, which is named Sammy's Law. Uh, that's named Sammy's Law after Sammy Chapman, uh, the son of Dr. Laura Berman. I think a lot of your viewers might have might have heard of this story, but he uh, was a 16-year-old, uh, went on to Snapchat, connected with a drug dealer, uh, purchased what he thought was either a Xanax or a Percocet and, and happened to be fentanyl. And so, um, and tragically passed away. What Sammy's Law would do is it would require social media platforms to give parents the choice to use what we call third-party safety software or software that can look at the content of what's coming across a child's account and send uh, the parent alerts for dangerous content, including substance abuse or any mention of, of drugs, uh, suicidal ideation, violence, predation, a whole list of dangers that our kids are being subjected to. We found again and again that safety software is really an essential uh, ingredient uh, or tool to keep kids safe on social media. Unfortunately, while some platforms allow it, others uh, do not. You have to actually specifically give access to these, these software companies. So which platforms are more amenable to this and which are not? Uh, Twitter allows it, uh, Instagram allows it uh, in some fashion, TikTok and Snapchat currently do not allow it. Okay. Or allow or give parents the choice to use it, I should say. So they do not give, so Snapchat and TikTok do not give parents the choice to have third-party software to be able to monitor what their kids are doing. Correct. Well, okay. Parents, if you're listening, I hope you take note of that. Now, is this California legislation again, or is this going to be federal legislation? It should be federal. This is congressional that we're also okay. working with a number of states as well. Okay. Okay. You know, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, I don't think any of us want heavy-duty censorship, but I think that up to a certain age, I think parents have to censor this type of thing. I mean, they, I wouldn't even call this censorship. Now, the nice thing about Sammy's Law is that it's going to give this industry a boost and we're going to see a lot of different solutions to keeping kids safe. And again, it's the parent's choice whether or not they want to employ any of these tools. Entirely right. the parent's choice. Right. Um, the nice thing about the existing solutions out there, and the one we currently recommend is a company called Bark, B-A-R-K. And the nice thing about that is the child retains a good deal of privacy in their communications and bark is specifically 
sending alerts when dangerous content, uh, according to its artificial intelligence algorithm, when dangerous content passes across the child's account. Otherwise, um, we see parents now manually looking through social media accounts and looking at each one or having the child's account on the parent's device and looking that way, which is much more invasive than, than some of these solutions, which are frankly far more effective too, because it can direct the parent's attention when it needs to be directed. So right. these are so, really good solutions. It's really disappointing right. that platforms out there are not giving parents the choice to I, use them. I, I, I think disappointing is a very mild way of saying it, Mark. I would say that it's deplorable, and I would also say that it's criminal. And yeah, I, it, it is, it's, it's deplorable. I don't know how else to say it. Um, Bark is an app on the phones. Is that how people can access it? Bark is an app. Uh, yeah, it can be accessed. Uh, you can just B-A-R-K. Okay. Uh, can I look at it, look it up on the browser. We specifically recommend it for youth uh, that we consider high risk. And a history of substance abuse is certainly a risk factor here when children are on social media. And so we really want parents to be thinking about that uh, if there's that history there. Uh, you know, I agree with you, Mark, but I would say with the prevalence of social media that all children are high risk to some degree because you know any child can make a wrong decision you know when parents are not watching and i yeah it, i am uh, i am not going to disagree with that at all we certainly would like to see widespread adoption of safety software, especially for younger teens. I mentioned the, the history of substance abuse for teens that are on social media just because I really want to drive that home because we see, I'm on the phone with impacted families regularly for the worst case outcomes. That that phone call that you never want to hear, or usually, uh, tragically, it's, it's parents, you know, finding their children, I the, I hear those stories on a regular basis. Usually Ugh. there's some very mild history of, of substance abuse there right. with these children. Not always, let's be clear. Sometimes it's out of the blue. Yeah. Uh, and you're absolutely right there. Um, but for those kids with a mild history, adding these extra protections, because again, as we've talked about already, they're going to see the drugs marketed and they're going to be extremely accessible to children that have access to social media. Um, something that Dr. Berman says a bit about her son is this was during the pandemic. She thought he was safe at home. You know, back in our day, you had to go out, you had to go to a party or something to, to be able to obtain drugs. He got it from his bedroom while his parents were, were in the home and, and went out of the house to the corner while they were at home and picked it up. And so the, the accessibility for any child that we know has um, any history of an inclination towards abusing substances, parents just have to be aware of this and what social media can do in terms of increasing this risk. I, I, I completely agree. I cannot thank you enough for doing what you're doing. Um, I am sure that you hear those stories every single day because this is not, you know, it's not the act, the accessibility is not going to go down and the the drug industry whether it's illegal or legal 
they have expert marketing technology and they are hitting the people that they need to hit where they need to hit them, which is Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. They know what they're doing. And, you know, we have to just get smarter as parents, you know, grandparents. And I think that what you're doing is, I wish it weren't necessary, but it's just, it's absolutely vital. It just has to be done. And I, I can't thank you enough for doing that. How can people reach you if they have some sort of an organization that they would like you to come and speak at? How can they take advantage of what you're doing? Of course. So we are at socialmediasafety.org. Okay. You can find all of our information there. We have a free parent course as well that, that parents can take. It goes through the full range of, of dangers there. Uh, and my contact information, our contact information is on the website as well. Socialmediasafety.org. That's it. Okay. Y'all listening, if you have kids, you better get on there. You better find out about it. You know, unfortunately, Mark, we get the interviews with the parents whose kids have died. And yeah. So thank you so much for talking to us today and telling us your story. Also, I don't know if it's if it's needed or wanted, but with this uh, legislation for on behalf of Sammy, Sammy's Law, if you need any sort of parental support for that law, if you could please um, let me know how to do that, because I would put that on our social media and put it in our email blast and communicate that out, that parents need to get on board and not just parents who have lost children or you know have kids who are addicted. I mean, it's all parents. You have to do it. Tell us, is there a way they can do that? We will have a petition out. So okay. the best way right now is to sign up for our newsletter, which you can do on our website so you can stay up to date Perfect. Uh, with, with what's going on with our organization. And of course, we have helpful tips and social media safety updates as well. Perfect. Uh, when we introduce the legislation in Congress, we will have a petition to be able to show your support. We will be able to contact parents and, and tell them how to contact their member of Congress. We also, and I can put this out there as well, if there's any parents who are listening who have used third-party safety software for their children and found that uh, there was an instance where it proved critical in terms of protecting your child, those stories are also very helpful for us to share with other members of Congress and help move this legislation. So we're actively uh, collecting those as well. And you can contact me if, if you have a story. Very good point. Mark, thank you so much for talking to us today. I super appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for doing this important work as well. Uh, I'm truly grateful that you're doing it. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening today. This situation is terrifying in my opinion. Social media is everywhere. Kids everywhere are on social media. They're um, ability to their accessibility, social media's accessibility is everywhere and kids can get drugs. And more and more kids are reaching out through social media to buy drugs and what they get is not a Xanax. It's not a pill like that. It's fentanyl and then they take it and they die. So this is very scary and you need to get yourself educated on it. 
and you need to make sure that the parents that you know get educated on it. It's something that, um, yeah, we all need to know about it and become very aware of the whole situation. Once again, the website that he mentioned is socialmediasafety.org. Go there, get materials, get educated, check out the app he mentioned called Bark, which is um, kind of safety software for parents. So check that out. And let's push for Snapchat and TikTok to also make this type of third-party security available on their apps as well. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back again next week with another interview. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.